You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Alright, so uh, as we have uh, gone over and I always repeat is that John's purpose in this letter is, is to instruct his readers on how to have fellowship. Uh, fellowship with the Father and with Jesus. Uh, and there are some people who, uh, who do see this letter as a series of tests, though, to show who's saved and who is not saved. Um, that, that, those who hold that, that view um, would, would uh, look at, focus on today's passages and attempt to prove their point because there's so much of uh, you do this, you're not a Christian. You do that, you're not, you know, you sin, you do, you know. They're, they're very blunt statements, but we've gone over it before. You can't just be like, well, of course, because we know we all sin, <laughs> right? Um, but there's a lot of people who, and, and I'll, 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 I'll share some of those views. You know, I always do that. Uh, the, so there's all this talk of not sinning, like this perfect like type of uh, living and stuff. So we, we have to understand that, that this here... Uh, the, while it is, does seem to seem to be a difficult passage of scripture to some, uh, some people, if they're, it, it's really only like that if they're out to try to prove a point sometimes. But a clear reading and uh, staying simplistic should actually make it clear because we know that the intended readers, based on the content within this letter, uh, is that they were Christians. Uh, Based on some of the state, I mean, it's it's evident that they were uh, they were in danger uh, of uh, being de- deceived by the false teachers, uh, the pre Gnostic uh, people there that were denying uh, who Christ was. But they were believers; they had first heard the apostolic teaching. So even though we don't know much about the the first recipients, uh, we do know that they were believers. And we remember then that in 1 John 3, John is writing with these two distinct, radically different groups of people that are in mind. All right? The, the, first, uh, the first group is those that he's referenced as the children of God. And the second uh, is the world. <laughs> There's a big difference there, right? So if you were to go back to his gospel, uh, the fourth gospel, and look at how Jesus uses uh, the word uh, sin, then it's going to help understand what John means in our text. If you look at John 9, 1 and 2, it says, As he passed passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus responds to their question. He says, uh, Jesus answered, "It, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, you have to ask logically. Was Jesus saying that the son and his parents had never sinned? No, he, he wasn't. He's saying that the blindness was not due to some sort of a specific sin, right? And at the end, 
of that chapter uh, to the Pharisees. Jesus, uh, this is John 9, 41. Jesus said to them, if, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, we see your guilt remains. That word translated guilt in, in, is sin in Greek there. So was Jesus trying, saying that if the Pharisees were actually physically blind, they would be sinless? No, <laughs> right? No again, we know this. He's talking about a specific sin characteristic of the Pharisees, and that was the sin of rejecting him, rejecting Christ. Also in the upper room, Jesus had told his disciples uh, in John 15, 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. A lot of people like to use this verse saying, if you had no idea whatsoever what you were doing, then you, there's no way that you can be uh, uh, guilty uh, yeah, or accountable for that sin. You didn't know it was a sin. It's like, oh, we... <laughs> okay. But is, is Jesus saying that, that they, all right, in context, this is the world, would be sin-free if he had not spoken to them? No, not at all. We know this, right? All, all are sinners. He's speaking of the sin of rejecting him, though. So in each of these cases, I've brought these up, that the, the terms here are absolute. We know that people sin. We know that people are sinners. But there's actually specific sin in these, in, in these uh, views here. All right? Now, so some are going to say the, that principle should be applied to the language in 1 John when you get to verses 6 through 9, where John's speaking of sin, that he is speaking of a specific sin. And we'll, we'll bring that out a, a little bit more uh, because we we'll, we'll, would we'll have to ask, what is that sin, right? That's up for debate. So as we see so many times, there's different views. People are saying uh, there's this and that or the other, all right? So uh, we're just going to read 4 through 10. Of three, right. and it starts. Uh, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a pra practice of sinning. Very important there, practice, right? A practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, so everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. All right. The term here, everyone, <laughs> seems to be very clear. Everyone, anyone who does this, anyone who makes a practice. All right. But um, if you were to look in the context, though, too, he's pointing, he's saying, hey, he's talking about your children of God. And here's the world. Those who do this are practicing this. OK, that's what he's saying. Um, Everyone who commits sin uh, is that 
the children of God included there? <laughs> yeah, everyone. It's everyone, right? But there, some, some are going to say categorically, it, it, it's these people who do this when you, when you start to uh, tease out the text here. But it, it, it's, I think it's pretty clear. Everyone who makes a practice, that's the point, the practice, all right? It's a practice of sinning, all right? So if you were to, there's a parallel con, uh, constructions that are found in verse 3 and 4. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness, right? So lawlessness then is the definition for sin in this context. And it applies to those who are practicing. It's a, some a habitual sin or a specific sin. And uh, that would then be applied to this other group later where he says children of the devil. All right. It's a kind of sin that represents disobedience or a rebellion. And it's colored by a particular orientation to sin. So the people whom John was warning his readers about held these beliefs that involved a denial that Jesus was the Christ. They denied he was the son of God come in flesh and that his death was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. We've talked about these before. So he, these people definitely are the children of the devil, but all who aren't of God are considered children of the devil. Verse 5, it says, you know, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So, you know, in other words, he's appealing to their common knowledge, the knowledge that they have received from the beginning that we've gone over before that he said this, the apostolic teachings, right? That particular knowledge involved here is that Jesus came to take away sins. It's that a basic to apostolic preaching that the readers were familiar with. It's part of the gospel message. We know this, that they received from the beginning, which John had opened this letter with back in, in 1, 1 and 2. And he, he appeared, uh, that word, uh, phrase, he appeared, that it's Christ's incarnation. It's this knowledge of Christ's appearing, uh, appearing would go against these false teachers' claims because uh, they, they, they were coming in, they were teaching this dualistic doctrine a dualist, uh, dualism, if you don't know, is the false teaching that the flesh, the material world is altogether evil, right? Like my actual flesh and blood is just bad. It's, it's, but while the spiritual world is righteous and good, okay, but from that understanding, they concluded that one's, one's evil body is just burned up in the end. Um, it, it, so therefore, it doesn't matter what a person does in the flesh because the flesh ultimately perishes, right? It doesn't matter. The, the spirit lives on, and as long as you're right spiritually, you can do whatever you like in the flesh. That's what they were saying was like, this is okay. because That's just bad. It's evil. That's the, you know. So this, this dualistic type of living. Uh, another, another name for that uh, we've been over before is that uh, antinomianism. Uh, of course, there's very broad descriptions of that we've gone over before, but that is another w way of describing it. But it was it, that was all reaction, though, against the Judaizers who it came into the church and taught the, the necessity of keeping the law of Moses or those ceremonial ritual uh, laws and rules and regulations. So in reaction, these false teachers, they, they just totally go like, 
no, you guys are extreme, so we'll go way over here to this other extreme and, and say, no, uh, uh, we're not going to keep any, any, any rules, including the rules of the Word of God and even New Testament rules or principles of Christ. All that matters is the spiritual realm. Therefore, we will indulge in the flesh. All right? That's what's going on. So incidentally, the dualists, they denied that Christ came in the flesh. We talked about this at the beginning of a study in this book. Uh, they believed Christ had to have been some sort, some kind of a, a phantom or a ghost because uh, that material, the flesh was so bad that how could God's son actually partake in, in something so evil? And so they rejected uh, this, the incarnation. They denied that, and they denied that Christ actually died and physically rose again. So, I mean, these people are total, total false uh, uh, teachers, as we've seen. They're anti-Christ, as we've seen as well. So John writes that he appeared in order to take away sins. Luke wrote that the purpose of Christ's coming was to seek and to save those who are lost. And Matthew said that he would save his people from his sins. The purpose is that Jesus has done something for man which man cannot do for himself, right? That take away, take away sins, it signifies the atonement. It's the substitution. He is a substitute that, that died under the penalty of sin. He bared the penalty that was due to us, to others. He died so that sinners who, who receive faith and trust and believe in him will not incur God's judgment. So it, that take away, that phrase, take away, it's written in the present tense and it signifies the ongoing sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, which is so, you're just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you. It's like not only thankful for salvation, but the ongoing eternal security in which he has provided for us that every time we go over it or I study it, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Verse six when he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, ESV reads a little different. That's what I normally use. I looked at some other ones. Um, that The Christian Standard Bible, it says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. So it's weird sometimes with the translations. Greek uses present tense. It's so... Uh, um, it will necessitate a translation like no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So logically, when you first read that, you're like, well, that would mean the believer who abides in Christ ne never sins at all. Is that what that means? <laughs> right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. But really, when you were to look at it in literal translations, it means that you sin somewhat how much is never specified, but he, he's not sinning on a regular persistent basis. All right. So, you know, of course we don't advocate sinning, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, there, you know, We've talked about this so many times. You don't want to anymore. You abide. You don't want to do that. That stuff goes away. There's some it takes longer than others. Um, but it, there is this uh, uh, sense here of, in the literal translation, you, you abiding in Christ, you, you will at some point, at some times, this is going to happen, but it is not consistent for your daily life. All Christians are called to abide and to walk as Christ walked. At times, 
we abide in Christ and we do not sin. Other times we find ourselves in trouble <laughs> and sinning. Verse 7, it says, uh, Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does, does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So that whole let no one deceive you tells you that deception is possible. Children of God have this family resemblance to their Father in heaven. He is righteous. He produces righteousness. Therefore, it, it should be reproduced in every abiding Christian. Uh, that he is the source then of all righteousness. So when a man is righteous, we should know that the source of his righteousness, it comes from the Father. And it's that righteousness that he did not possess beforehand in his fallen nature. Uh, he acquired it, though, in regeneration in his new birth. So verse 8, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works, or, or destroy the devil's works. So we, we, we could say that no, the, the one who does not believe here is the, of the devil. And I think John has these, these Gnostic people, these false teachers, these opponents in view when he says, says this, that they are of the devil, and at least in the sense of rejecting Christ. All right, It's the first time in this letter you're going to see this word devil. And while I'm not going to make a whole detour here, because I think we've done it before, I'll, I'll remind you guys what the, the Greek here uh, it is, is that um, devil can mean false accuser. It can mean a slanderer, uh, accusing, and then the, uh, prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. Metaphorically, it is applied to man by opposing the cause of God. Okay? Um, and it may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him, right? Like when people say, all right, I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? Which Olivia doesn't like. She always says, use an alternative view, <laughs> right? However, we, we you know, it, it's, in, anyway, I'm just pointing that out. But when every time I read this, I always like to go like, when was the beginning? When he said, you know, it says, the devil has sinned from the beginning. It's like, when was the beginning and when did he sin? So it's, it's difficult, though. It's difficult to get a theological uh, determination on when Satan rebelled against God. Now, that it's there. We could find him uh, if you can. But there's different variations there. We're not, like I said, we're not taking a detour on it <laughs> today. Um, uh, we do know that Jesus said that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But that, that doesn't exactly tell us when. What we do know, though, is that the purpose uh, is that, that Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And I've, we have gone over this several times, and we do know that one of, the, one of these works, right? What's the works of the devil? It's my understanding of works of the devil is to separate man from God, right? And the word destroy here should be no surprise. In, in Greek, it means to destroy. John said earlier that Christ appeared to take away sins. It's something that he uh, achieved by offering himself as an atoning sacrifice. He also says that Christ's blood cleanses his people from all their sins. And we can then safely infer that through his atoning death that Jesus dealt with the problem of human sin and doing so destroyed the works of the devil. And, and, and that's that separation. So now we can come to the Father directly. 
verse 9. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because he or his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. All right. No, no one who is born of God will com commit. Now, we haven't seen this phrase yet, but this is sin unto death. All right. Um, which uh, many will see as, as unbelief. The, the fact that God's seed remains, though, here, all right, that points to the permanence of this work that Christ has established. All right, the seed that God plants cannot be uprooted. So you have to see this. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. All right, that seed cannot be uprooted. I, 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 re I really think that this referencing of sinning too is again to a specific sin of unbelief the sin of 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 uh, unto death but um it could be habitual type of sin which i've, I've pointed out already uh so to me the only views here that make sense and you can disagree and you guys know that but it, it's either a specific sin or habitual sin view all right john speaking Seems to me he is speaking of a specific sin. In, in context, it's lawlessness. Whether they're one and the same, a, a, a habitual sin is in view because he states that twice that the person practices that sin. All right? So many contend that the word may have the meaning of rejection and opposition to God's will and rule. And the sin which distinguishes the children of the devil is sin which has its, its roots in this rebellion against God. And in Greek, it's anomia. And it's the sin that believers cannot commit because God's seed remains in them. It cannot be uprooted. God is in you that you cannot commit that sin. The children of God may at times sin, as we've seen. But the one thing they're not going to do is commit a rebellion against God, a rejection of Jesus, which would be the sin of the devil. Does that make any sense? Right? It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's like the discussion we've had several times um, on, you know, you don't want to do this. You know, there's things you don't want to do automatically when you've been born again, you know. Um, and some of the uh, debates or uh, arguments, uh, arguments in a in a positive sense, though, that we've had before about the law versus grace and things like that. It's like under grace, you're just under this this you know not all 613 laws, and so it's like there's all these things that you don't want to do anymore, right? So there's these things that we don't want to do, but these people over here, they had this, this, they did not have the seed of God in them. Therefore, they were rejecting Christ. Now, we, we could say that the sin that John is talking about here is the sin of, then of rejecting Christ. John says that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, He's not able to sin because his seed remains in him. And there's several theories on this, on the Greek phrase, his seed. Um, uh, you know, there was Augustine and Luther and those guys, they said it referred uh, to God's word. Uh, that seems to be pretty, uh, a pretty good description of it. Um, and I would add, it, it's the Holy Spirit in us. Because he, he has been born of God, all right? The change from being of the devil 
in verse 8 to being children of God comes as we are born again, born of God. Verses telling us that we cannot commit the sin that unbelievers do, which is the sin that leads to death and which is the sin of rejecting Christ. We cannot commit this sin because we are eternally secure in Christ. We don't reject him because we've already accepted him. So as we come to verse 10, in closing, we need to understand that this verse serves as this transition from the the preceding material that we've gone through to what follows in verses 11 through 24. And that concept then is of loving one's fellow Christian is going to be introduced at the end of this verse in 10. And it's going to be expanded on. Verse 10, he says, This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. It was a wonderful thing what Evan said earlier before we started about the thing thing that's going on in this situation is that it was a matter of prayer and reconciliation. It's not a matter of, of... judging and pointing the finger and hating or or slandering um it it is of prayer and reconciliation to be restored back not to just the father but uh to the body which is loving one's brother and or sister which is a constant message not just through john but the whole entire bible right unity and reconciliation which he said if you read from this from start to to finish in the bible is one of those things. And John, John's going to really start to pull that out now in the rest, uh, like I said, uh, 11 through 18. Um, we, we, that the ones who not, do not love his brother, he, is, he starts to say is not right with God. They're of the devil. And uh, now, I, you know, I'm not throwing people under the bus here, but it, sometimes we don't know everything that's going on. Plus, we don't understand. You know, some people go, man, you know, I love them with the love of God, but I sure don't like them. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, in order to love somebody, you have to like them. <laughs> it's hard, right? <laughs> right? Anyway, I'm just saying, sometimes we don't always know the situation. I understand that. Uh, but there is a, a great need, I think, for very, very many petty things that happen in our lives, in the situation, within the church, within the body, that, that has just been hammered way too many times and has just opened the door for uh, uh, just dissension, just being ripped apart, uh, which, which, you know, the world wants to see that. Well, look at them. They can't get along. <laughs> Why should we, Right. Uh, we, we, we need to love. And we've gone over that. We've gone over love. It's not that warm, fuzzy feeling either. It's an action. It's action. All right? That agape love, it's something in which I cannot do on my own. I've got to have the Holy Spirit in me to empower me to do that and to do it uh, with the right motives and the right intentions, which is the, lo- the love in which Jesus did, like in full obedience to the Father. Right? All right, so what the first half of verse 10 is saying is that we can tell that the children of God uh, are different from the children of the devil, right, because of their faith. The children of the devil sin that they do not believe in the Christ of the Bible, uh, and they do not love. The children of God are made evident by their faith in Christ. Now, that ends that section there, but it's in the mid-sentence. 
So with the last half, John begins that new discussion on love. All right? So not, not of God. Uh, this, you know, it's saying they're, they're not. It's almost like um, when he said, uh, when he was speaking of the false teachers, uh, the Antichrist and all that, and he said they were not of us because they went out from us. All right, it's not of God there. John, John uh, uh, is using not of God here to refer to fellowship. The one who does not do what is right is not abiding in Christ, especially the one who does not love his brother or his sister. Okay, so the absence of love for one's brother or sister uh, is there. And a Christian shows that that individual who does not love is not in fellowship with the Lord. <laughs> They're not. So love is the most important particular manifestation of, of righteous behavior in, in which encompasses everything else, right? Which is, it's always the center and then you have all these other things that are there as well. All right. And that, that's where we'll end today. So. 